Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 5, says this. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecuted you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant, servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of the household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you have whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So my parents own a pet care business where they take care of dogs and cats when people go on vacation. Um, they groom the dogs as well. And they've had that business basically since I, before I was born. And so the nice part about it was whenever I needed a job, I always had a job. So whether it was you know, Christmas vacation or Easter break or whatever the case may be, summer vacation. Um, if I wanted to make some money, I could work there. It's a lot of flexibility. And I worked there in college, uh, even when I would come home at seminary, and even when I first started planning this church, I worked there a couple days a week. But when I was in college, I got kind of sick of doing the job. I mean, it was not something that I really loved to do, but it had a lot of benefits and flexibility. But I just got, kind of got tired of it when I was in college. And there was this Dunkin' Donuts down the street. And the Dunkin' Donuts wasn't really busy. So I'm thinking to myself, 
I'm going to go work there, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to meet some new people, and they don't really have that many customers, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, kick back and chill out, and it's going to be a really cool, easy job. And so I was willing to give up, you know, to have less pay and less flexibility to go there because I thought it was going to be a fun job. So I remember I went there, and again, I'm thinking I'm going to make some coffee, meet some people, just kind of get into the swing of things. And I remember going there, and they took me to this back room, and they put this computer screen on, and it was training of going through all of these procedures. And it was procedures for how to clean all the machines, um, how to interact with customers, how would to deal with all of these you know, complex things. Um, didn't even get to making coffee or anything like that at that point. It was just kind of the procedures. And as I'm, as I'm there, I'm starting to realize, like, this is actually a job. Like, this isn't, this isn't going to be that much fun. And so I'm giving up pay. I'm going to get less pay, less flexibility for a job that I'm going to have to learn a lot and is probably going to be just as hard as the job that I was doing. I'm like, what am I doing? So halfway through, I realized, I'm just going to go back to my parents. And so like the prodigal son, I came back, head down. I said, Mom, Dad, can I have my job back? And they gave me the job back. Now, of course, there wasn't a problem with the job there. It was standard fast food job. It wasn't any more or less difficult than anyone else, any other job. The problem was my expectations. And I thought it was just going to be something that was fun. I was just going to hang out, make a few cups of coffee, meet people, um, and it was going to be so much easier than the job that I had. But really, I was getting less flexibility, less pay. Um, I think sometimes when we, you know, sometimes we go into situations and we have expectations, and then when those expectations meet reality, sometimes we get disillusioned. And, and the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus is giving his disciples a mission, a task, a job, so to speak. And he's going to tell these disciples what that job is going to be like and how they should operate in that job. And I think he wants to be really clear what that mission is and how they're going to operate in that. And, you know, we look at this mission and there's parts of it that are not really applicable for us today. Like, you know, they, he tells them not to go to the land of the Gentiles and he tells them about specific things they should and shouldn't bring. So there, were, there was kind of a specificity to this mission that doesn't apply to us today. But there's some principles that Jesus gives, I think, that are timeless, that apply to all of us as believers in Jesus. But before we get to kind of what the task is like and how we should carry out the task, we need to first determine what is the task. And Jesus gives that task in Matthew chapter 28 to us, verse 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as the church, we've been given a task to make disciples, to love those around us, to baptize people, introduce people to Jesus, to disciple people, teach people what Jesus taught, teach them the things that Jesus taught. So that's our mission. And what does Jesus tell us about the mission? What is the mission like? First, he tells us that the mission is hard. The mission is hard. Jesus says that he's sending his disciples as sheep among wolves. How do sheep protect themselves? It's a trick question. They don't protect themselves. They're vulnerable. They're open to attack. They don't have any means of defense. Jesus speaks of the reality of persecutions. He talks about 
disciples being brought before governors and tribunals. He goes even further to talk about some, some really severe persecution, disciples being put to death, uh, about children turning against, uh, against their parents, father against uh, child, brother against brother, really severe types of persecution. And then he makes this remarkable statement. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now imagine Jesus' disciples after this, they're just really excited to go on this mission, right? I mean, you're going to face, you know, your brothers, or your, your uh, family is going to turn on you, you're going to be put to death, you're going to be accused of things. I mean, it doesn't sound like a very appealing task. So I think about this, and it's like, why does Jesus tell them all of these things? And, and the question is even more profound when you think about the fact that at this time, they're not experiencing this level of persecution, at this time period, this, the disciples are not being put to death for their faith. Jesus, in this mission, they're not going to be put to death. They're not going to be brought before tribunals. I mean, later, they're going to experience a lot of that. But at this time, there isn't that kind of persecution. So why does Jesus talk about these things? Why does he kind of highlight all of these uh, aspects of persecution and what's coming? Um, and, and, and on the... The inverse, why doesn't he share more of the benefits of following after him? Why doesn't he kind of have a more positive perspective on this? I think the reason that he does this is he's highlighting kind of the negatives in order to encourage them. Now, maybe that doesn't make sense on the surface. But he's exaggerating, uh, not, not in the sense of, you know, not speaking the truth, but he's kind of highlighting the negatives in order to comfort. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, a couple years ago, I, I knew someone who had to have double knee replacement. And, of course, they weren't going to do both at the same time. He had to get them done separately for the rehab so that, they, you know, you'd have one good leg to walk on. Um, and so he went in for the first surgery, and he came out, and I remember seeing him, and he was just in a really, really rough place. Um, the, he, I've known him for years, and he's just a really strong individual, but, like, just, just kind of rocked him. Um, he's in a lot of pain. His recovery is kind of slow. Um, he's just bad space emotionally. And, and then finally, after some time, he started to, you know, get better. And, you know, eventually he, you know, he healed. But then he had to have the other one. And I'm thinking in my mind, this is going to be terrible. Like I saw how much uh, it hurt him to go through the first one. I saw how emotionally drained he was and how, you know, he kind of went into this dark space. And, and this is going to be terrible. But he goes and he has the second one, and it's like two days later, and he's like walking around in, you know, all chipper, and, and everything's great. And I'm thinking, like, what happened? Like, why in the first one was, you know, it all dark, it's all negative, why did it take so long for him to recover? And then the second one, it was like superhuman. Uh, it was his expectations. For the first one, he had no idea what he was getting into. He had no idea the pain that was going to be involved. He had no idea what it was going to take with physical therapy. And so his recovery was difficult, slow. Then the second one came, and he, he knew exactly what he was getting into. He knew the pain that was involved. He knew the exercises he was going to have to do. He knew what it was going to take for him to get better. And he put his head down and did it. He knew what was coming. And I think as we look at this passage, Jesus wants his disciples to go into this mission with eyes wide open, realizing that there's going to be struggle ahead. That life is not going to go smoothly. Everything is not going to go as, as we'd hoped it goes. 
When I was in seminary, I've, I've told this story before, but many of you may not have heard it. When I was in seminary, I remember entering into seminary, and I think it was an orientation or uh, maybe one of the first chapels that we had um, as new seminary students. And, and there was a message that was given that's always stuck with me. And uh, the, the pastor got up, and he said something like this. He said, uh, you're entering into ministry now, and you're forever forfeiting the right to be anonymous to the enemy. And he said, don't, don't be surprised when persecution comes. Don't be surprised when you're struggling in different areas of your life because you have a target on your back because you're filling, fulfilling the mission of God. Now, in that moment, it wasn't a super encouraging message. It wasn't like, oh, yes, let's go reach the world for Christ. But I think about that message, and I've come back to that in my mind time and time again as I've been fulfilling the mission that God has for me, and it's been filled with struggle. The mission of God is always filled with struggle. And so Jesus wants his disciples to realize the road is going to be hard. It was, it was hard for him. It's going to be hard for each and every one of us if we're doing the things that God calls us to do. And, and we look at this mission of loving people, sharing the gospel with people, and that task is hard. Why is it hard? Because there's people involved. I mean, it's every business you talk about, it, it'd be great without the people, right? We're in the people business. We're in the people business. Sometimes people aren't worthy of our love or doesn't feel like they're worthy of our love. Sometimes people misunderstand us. We live in a culture where oftentimes people kind of read into our motives. Maybe now, you know, even being a Christian, people look at it with suspicion or kind of stereotypes. The mission of God costs us something. Sometimes we invest in people and we don't see the growth that we'd hope to see in their lives. Maybe we've given everything to them and yet the growth doesn't come. The mission is hard. Sometimes when people come to Christ, they think that Christ has called them to kind of like an eternal vacation. It's like come to Christ and then Christ is going to make your life easy and smooth. Everything's going to go smoothly. You won't have to worry about a thing. But Jesus doesn't call us to a vacation. He calls us to a war. He calls us to a war. There is a spiritual battle going on for the souls of man. He calls us as soldiers of that war to love those around us with his love. And the fact that it's a war means that it's difficult. It means that there's loss. It means that there's opposition. Now, it may or may not be as extreme as Jesus says in this passage. It may not mean, you know, being put to death. It may not mean that our family turns against us, or it may. But when we face opposition, we need to realize it doesn't mean that we're on the wrong path. If we're, you know, kind of doing our own thing, living for ourselves, Satan doesn't care. But if we're on the path that God calls us to, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be loss. And so Jesus first says the mission is hard. He, he wants them to see that it's going to be difficult. And then he kind of outlines some things of how we're to carry out that mission. Uh, the first thing he says is that we should give rather than profit. He says in verse 7, you received without pay, give without pay. You received without pay, give without pay. And now, of course, the clearest application is the disciples as ministers of the gospel are not to kind of be profiting from what they're doing. Now, he says in the next verse that the worker is, is worthy of his, you know, uh, of his food. Uh, and Paul says the same thing. 
Um, so, it, you know, it's not wrong for someone to make their living from the gospel, but the church is not a for-profit enterprise. It's not about getting the most money that we can to, to serve ourselves. It's about using resources to give and serve those around us. But maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, you know, not in ministry. It doesn't apply to me. Well, I think the principle applies to all of us. All of us are called to give rather than to receive in our interactions. Um, Jesus calls us to be giving people. Now, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, Christ has been incredibly generous to us. He came to the earth to give, and because of that, we're generous to those around us. And so, first, there's kind of the, you know, the obvious kind of financial component of that, that we're to give to those around us. Um, and it's not about how much we make, it's about how much we give. You know, uh, as Jesus said, uh, a widow who gives two coins is, is, is just as honoring to God as a CEO who gives $100,000. So it's not about how much we make, it's about how much we give and the state of our hearts. And so Jesus calls us to be giving interactions with, peop- interactions with people, not taking, not profiting. But it goes far beyond financial. It's like, are we life-giving forces in the relationships that we have? Do we bring life to the situations of our life? Or are we taking, constantly taking for those around us? And, and really, when we think about it, one of the most valuable commodities that we have today, and, and what many people are longing for today, is attention. Someone to listen to, their, to them. Someone to hear their stories. And so when we interact with people, are we simply just kind of sharing our stuff, sharing our stories, or are we listening to what ha- they have to say? giving them our attention, taking the time to pray for them. Uh, There's a Japanese language instructor who was a missionary, and he once uh, held up a cup filled to the brim with water. And he said this, he said, the Japanese are like this full cup. Their lives are very busy and full. He held up the glass of water. We've got to be careful of pouring on the truth, as important and great and glorious as it is. If you pour water into a cup that's already full, where will that water go? course it spills on the floor he went on and said sometimes in our zealousness to share the good news we can overdo it and we just pour it on and then that opportunity that water is wasted because people's cups are already full but when you take time to listen and he took a sip out of the cup you're now providing space there's now capacity for you to share something that's going to impact their heart because now you know their short story now you know what passage of scripture to share or what encouraging word to say Now you know how to pray for them because you've taken the time to listen. So Jesus says, as you're carrying out this mission, we're going to to be giving people rather than profiting people. It's not about gaining something for us. It's about giving to those around us. And one of the things we can give is attention, listening to people, hearing their story. Then he goes on and says that we're to be wise but harmless. To be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's actually quite interesting that Jesus would say that we're to be wise as serpents because, remember, kind of the most fa- famous serpent was Satan. He was known for his craftiness. Snakes were known for being tricky, having a keen ability to preserve themselves, and they could also go on the offensive and bite those who threatened them. And in, in essence, Jesus is saying that we're to be snakes without the bite. We're to be strategic, to be wise, but without the offensive venom, so to speak. We live in a world where sometimes it's difficult to love those around us. We live in a world where there's 
often wolves around us. And we're to be strategic in how we love those around us. Now I think about it and think about my wife. I have one son who's three and a half, Paul, and my wife, Stephanie. And say I have $100 and that money I'm going to spend, I can spend on them. Now, how I spend that money is going to be contextual. So if it's my son's birthday tomorrow, I'm probably going to spend that most of that on my son. If, I, if it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, I'm going to probably spend most of it on my wife. If something comes up, if there's a medical need, uh, maybe I'm going to spend it on my son. So that money that I have, that resource that I have, I'll use it strategically. And it, it doesn't mean if I spend it on my wife, it doesn't mean I doesn't, don't love my son. If I spend it on my son, it doesn't mean I don't love my wife. It's the context that, can, that determines how strategic I am with that money. And as believers, we've been given limited time, opportunities, and resources. Each of us only have a certain amount of resources, and we need to be strategic in how we use those resources. We're always to be governed by love in everything that we do, but being loving doesn't mean that we say yes to everything. It doesn't mean that we're doormats. And Jesus said, you know, sometimes we're to endure persecution. Sometimes Jesus says in this passage we need to flee that persecution. And so we're always guided by love, but we're to be strategic in that love. Now some people say, well, I'm just supposed to love everyone indiscriminately. I just love everyone. And it's true, we're to love everyone around us, but not in the same way. I mean, let's say someone just kind of takes the life out of you, and you love them, and you love them, and you love them. They take all of your time, your money, your attention. What does that mean? It means that you're empty. It means you don't have that love to give to someone else. And so we need to be strategic. We need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and be strategic in how we live our lives Sharing love with everyone around us, but doing it strategically to make sure that we're doing the things that God calls us to do. And so we're to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And the next thing he says that we should trust rather than a scheme. Verse 9 says, acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics nor sandals, nor a staff for the laborer deserves his food. I think perhaps one of the reasons that Jesus tells the disciples not to bring these things is so that they would trust in him rather than in their own resources. And in essence, I think what Jesus is saying here is, you have what you need to follow me right now. You have what you need to follow me right now. And how often sometimes people get into this place where they're like, yeah, I'll follow after Christ, but it's after I do these things. After I clean up my life, after the kids grow up, after I change careers, after this, after this, after God prepares me, then I'll follow after him. But that's not how it works. It's not as if, you know, it's Jesus comes to us and calls us to do something and then like, okay, you know, I'll come back later and see. See how you are, see how you progress. No, Jesus qualifies us as he calls us. And so Jesus tells the disciples, you're ready right now. You can go right now. And in the future, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to give you what you need. And look at what it says in verses 19 to 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you were to speak or what you were to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking 
Each and every one of us have what we need today to follow Christ. I mean, you think about even the patriarchs, the, the great heroes of the Bible. You know, think about Abraham, and you know, he's basically a pagan. God comes to him, and he doesn't say, well, clean up your life, serve me, and after that, then follow me. He, he comes to him and says, leave your homeland, go to the land that I will show you. And as he does that, as he's obedient, God reveals himself to him. God provides for him. God qualifies him for the task he's called him to. And so we need to be ready each and every day when God calls us to serve him. We need to say yes. He'll give us what we need. He'll provide for us in the moment. Final thing he says is that we should fear correctly. Verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear those, him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus makes it very clear that man has limited power. The worst he can do is destroy our body and kill us. But, of course, God has the power to destroy our souls in hell. But what about that one who has that power? What about the one who has the power to destroy our body and soul in hell? It says in the text that he cares for the insignificant sparrow. And if he cares for the insignificant sparrow, how much more does he care for us? He says that the, number, that the hairs on our head are numbered. The God who could condemn us loves us. And so for those of us who are believers, we don't need to fear at all because man cannot destroy us and God could, but he chooses instead to love us and he loves us deeply. And there's great freedom in that we don't have to be governed by what man says. We don't have to be governed by the fear of man. God gives us a freedom to serve him with all of our hearts. Henry Nguyen, spiritual writer, said this, the great spiritual task facing me is, so, is to so fully trust that I belong to God that I can be free in the world, free to speak even when my words are not received, free to act even when my actions are criticized, ridiculed or considered useless. Free also to receive love from people and be grateful for all the signs of God's presence in the world. I am convinced that I will truly be able to love the world when I fully believe that I am loved far beyond its boundaries. We can't serve those around us. We can't love those around us if, unless we're filled with the love of God. Unless we're sure of his love for us. And so we need to make sure that we're loving, but we need to also make sure that we're fearing correctly. That we understand the one's who could destroy us, the man cannot destroy, only can destroy our body. And the one that could destroy us loves us deeply. And then also there is a warning to, that we need to persevere. That we need to stay faithful. Several years ago there was an article um, in Newsweek entitled Letters in the Sand. And it was a compilation of letters from military personnel written back home uh, during the Gulf War. And uh, one of those was written by a man by the name of Marine Corporal Preston Coffer. He told a friend, we're talking about Marines, not the Boy Scouts. We all joined the service knowing full well what might be expected of us. And he signed off with the Marine model, Semper Fi, Latin for always faithful. So we need to fear correctly. Not fearing man, fearing God, being assured of his love for us. So Jesus tells us in this passage that the mission is hard. That we should give as we're caring about this mission rather than profiting. That we should be wise but harmless. That we should trust rather than scheme. And that we should fear correctly. 
kind of to sum it all up in one statement, the mission is hard, but the Spirit is with us, and the reward is great. The mission is hard, but the Spirit is with us, and the reward is great. There's a man by the name of uh, Mark Coleman. He's a pastor, and he loves hiking. And he tried to instill that love of hiking in his son. And so when his son Peter was five years old, he planned this hike for them to go on. And it was a fairly easy hike for an adult. It was kind of challenging for a, a young child. Uh, but they were basically going to go on this little hike around this mountain. Then they were going to camp on the other side of the mountain. Um, and he kind of prepped him for it and said, you know, it's going to be tough sometimes, but you just got to keep walking. You just got to keep going. You can't stop. Well, it got a lot more difficult than they expected. Um, Coleman kind of made a mistake, and instead of going around the mountain, he went over the mountain. And so he's going over the mountain with this five-year-old, and he's not having a good time at all. You know, but he keeps going, and he you know, keeps falling down on these you know, jagged um, path that's broken, and um, just keeps falling down. He keeps getting up, falling down, getting up. And, you know, it got to a point where his, the, his um, pants were all ripped open. And he just keeps going. And finally he gets to a point where he just falls one too many, too, 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 um, too many times. And he just starts crying. And he just sits there and cries. And uh, his dad approached him and began to speak to him. And before he could say anything, son cut him off. And he said, I know, Dad. It's okay to cry as long as I keep walking. As believers in Jesus, we need to realize the path is hard. The mission is that God calls us to is hard. Sometimes it causes us to cry. Sometimes it causes us to be broken. But we have the assurance that the Spirit is with us. That in the Great Commission, Jesus says that he's with us, that he's going before us. So we have the Spirit with us, and we have the reward of eternal life ahead of us. And so even when it's difficult, even when it hurts, we keep walking, following the plans that God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you that you didn't turn around when the road got difficult. That you got up and walked to the cross, taking our sin and pain upon yourself, rising again after three days. Lord, we know that you've called us to a mission. A mission to love people, to share your gospel with those around us. And we acknowledge that it's difficult sometimes. Sometimes it brings persecution. Sometimes it brings misunderstanding. Sometimes it brings incredible heartache to our lives. But Lord, even when it's difficult, we know that you're faithful. We know that your spirit goes before us. We know that the reward is great. And Lord, even when we're down on our knees... We're not sure how we're going to get up, how we're going to keep going. Lord, strengthen our hearts. Help us to keep walking. Help us to keep serving you with all of our hearts. Lord, we trust you for the strength, for the perseverance that we need. In Christ's name I pray.